are tuned into CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio. And in studio, you have Brennan and Jody and Dave. We'll hear from Craig and Hank a little bit later. We are on the cusp of Halloween. It's right around the corner on Monday. So we've got some picks for you, some of our favorite comics, old and new. It's also the World Series starts today. So that's kind of nerdy in its own way. Sure. Uh, so yeah, lots going on. Um, and to kick things off, Dave and I want to talk about a movie that just premiered on Netflix uh, last week called The Stranger. It is from this year. It is directed and written by Thomas M. Wright. It is based on a true story. And it is basically a two-hander for the most part. Uh, Joel Edgerton he plays this guy, Mark, who is an undercover cop, and he's basically trying to trap this guy, Henry, who is played by Sean Harris, and he is a guy who they believe abducted and killed a boy, and this happened in Australia, and there was a book about it called The Sting, and it was the largest operation by the police to try to get a guy to confess to a murder. Like they were positive that he had done it, but he just got away with it. And uh, so they set up this elaborate scheme to get him to admit. And it is quite a compelling story. Yeah, and we watch a lot of true crime series and movies and stuff like that, but I can't remember ever seeing one that was based on what I think in Canada is called a Mr. Big operation like this one, wherein undercover police pose as organized crime to bring a suspect into their trust in an attempt to get them to confess, which actually happens in Saskatchewan quite often. Like the Greg Furtuck murder trial, which is going on right now, involves a Mr. Big sting. Um, Saskatoon's like most prolific serial killer, uh, John Martin Crawford, was convicted on evidence that was gathered by you know somebody doing a Mr. Big sting on a friend of his. So this is actually something that happens locally quite often, even though this is a true story set in Australia. And I can't remember a filmmaker ever taking on this subject before, which is a really good a good script for a two-handed cast like this where you've got one guy trying to infiltrate the other guy's life and the other one sort of being infiltrated and of course coming at least partially into the trust of these undercover police. Yeah, it's compelling. It's haunting. Just the gaunt face and eyes of Henry, the suspected killer, is, is enough to, you know, charm and chill you. Yeah, and if the description of the like child abduction and killing like scares you off of watching this, that is not really a part of the story. That is his crime, but they don't focus on his crime. They focus on his confession and what I think some people would maybe even call his entrapment and just basically let these two great actors work their way through this kind of a slow burn. Very slow burn. And I did like that at no time was it ever gory or graphic. They really did not deal with the crime itself. And that was actually kind of refreshing. Yeah, very much a psychological slow burn. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. It's on Netflix. You can check that out. If you're looking for something that's kind of horror-ish, but not really horror-ish for, you know, this spooky time of the year. So that would be a good one to pick up. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully Hank and Craig have some better 
crazier, spookier, gorier stuff to talk about. We'll throw things over to them and then we'll talk about some cool comics. So take it away, fellas. Hey, everybody, it's Craig Silliphant on Punch Radio on CFCR 90.5 FN, FM, not FN. Uh, and I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, Hank Cruz, who, true to Halloween uh, this week, well, this coming week, is living in a maximum overdrive situation where his household appliances are attacking him. The washing machine broke his foot. Uh, I'm not even joking about this. It's true. Hank, it, did you... It is, that is not funny. Did, it is not a joke. Did by, or what happened? The, the washing machine uh, broke my foot, and then... Um, as previously uh, a few years ago when I uh, had a disc pop straight out of my spine all because of my dishwasher leaking and I got down to try to yank the dishwasher and it soaked into the floor so I couldn't get it out I'm like no I'll get the dish and then then this disc just flies out of my back which uh, couldn't walk for a couple months and it's like all the everything's out to get me here so I, I uh, mentioned to you but uh, I went around to every other uh, appliance in the house I caressed them gently, said how much I appreciate them doing all this work for our household and how much we love them. And then hopefully they won't come to try to kill me in my sleep, but they're out to get me, man. We'll get see. Me, yeah. We'll see. Living in a along. maximum overdrive. You got maximum overdrive problems. Um, so Halloween is on Monday, but it's the weekend before. Uh, tonight, I'm going to watch uh, probably, I might actually check out, you recommended a couple of weeks ago here on the show, the Trick or Treat Scooby-Doo. I might watch that with my kids. Oh, tonight. yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Uh, and then tomorrow night, my wife and I are going to get rid of the kids and get some wine and beer and as much uh, candy as I can and do our annual uh, beer, candy, wine, horror movie uh, marathon. So we'll watch a horror movie or two. And then, of course, Monday is Halloween trick or treating with the kids. What do you uh, What do you got going on? Probably a lot of well, now with this there, uh, but... with this broken foot. It's going to be hard to take the kids trick or treating. So I uh, I'm thinking maybe they should uh, create a costume for me where they can push me around in something. Then they can push me around the neighborhood. But then if uh, I'm thinking we're going to get extra candy, right? If the people see that's like, oh, dad went out with a broken foot and he's still taking the kids. Here's some candy for dad too. So maybe uh, it could be worth it. Hey, get a wheelbarrow wheelbarrow full of candy ah good idea that's what i'm doing yeah now uh changing gears well i guess we could say halloween apples because we're going to talk about apple it's been almost three years since the launch of their streaming service apple plus tv uh they started basically from nothing they didn't license shows from other studios they built their own library uh they have some decent shows on there like ted lasso and stuff but you know there's also a lot of garbage on there so they announced recently that they are going to up the cost uh for the first time about an increase of 40 percent so uh depends what plan you have and everything but the sort of single user plan According to this thing, it says $599, but I'm thinking I'm paying was paying $699. But anyway, it's supposed to go up to $899 a month, potentially more. Annually, that's $59.99 going up to $89.99. Uh, you know, they're saying, you know, we introduced it at a low price because we started with a few shows and movies. Uh, and now we've got all this extensive selection of award-winning, broadly acclaimed series and documentaries and kids programming. And I was like, I call BS on this. There's only a handful of great shows on there. 
I just canceled mine because I'm like, you know, we're living in an age now where there's so many networks and they cost so much money. Uh, but, you know, you've got Crave that they got HBO and stuff. You got Disney. They've got the Star Wars, the Marvel, Fox, more. Netflix is still cranking out relevant content that's worth watching. I have stuff like Shudder that's actually also cranking out uh, pretty good original content. So, you know, what is Apple bringing to the table? Nothing besides higher prices. They're also raising the price of their music service, which I don't use, but... Uh, but I don't know. To me, this is like you're not there yet, guys. What do you What do you think? You still have Apple, right? Like, TV. oh, I, I got the Apple because I got that uh, the one where it's got the uh, the music, the fitness, the TV, the cloud storage, all in one. That one monthly family plan is like thirty four ninety nine or something. Um, but it, it, interesting uh, also because do you know any of their children's programming on Apple TV? Uh, just like Wolf Walkers, uh, was that what that um, movie was called? I don't know because uh, the other one, the seen... new one, Luck. I think the one with the no. Because other and, than uh... Luck, like I, the kids and I have not watched a children's program on Apple TV. I've watched uh, various other programs on there, but not with the kids. Because when I think of Apple TV, I don't think of kids programming. So no, so I, don't know I like that it's here. like, hey, I can get back on it if te like when a new season of Ted Lasso comes out, I'll pay for it that month, watch it, and then cancel it again. But so far, I think this is. This is a bunch of but you're you're going about it all wrong because what you need to do is go buy a new iPad or go buy a new phone or go buy a new Mac and then they'll just give you a subscription to this for like at least a year. Right. So just go buy a new device. Every year, buy a new device every year. That'll yes. save some money. Now, speaking of streaming services, uh, the end of Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon happened last week, and we won't give any spoilers on here. But uh, now that the season has wrapped up and with the finale and everything, what did you think? Well, out of the, uh, how many episodes were there? Like I, seven or eight? Ten. Was it ten? Mm, nine, okay. nine or ten. So if you cut half the content out of those episodes, uh, you would end up with a great series, I think. Uh, because every episode I found half of it was like, why is it even in here? Like, what did we need? And then the next half was like, you know, there were certain parts of each episode that were really cool. Yes. And you're like, yes. Now, do I want season two? Well, yeah, because after the finale, I need to know what happens here. But they took a long time getting there. Like, they didn't have to have different actors. They didn't have to do time jumps. They could have just done like a, a short little thing at the beginning and then just started us right there. And like the actors that are currently playing the roles could have played the younger roles for like an episode. Like, come on. And like that whole part was it kind of took me out of it because now like like they're different actors. Like just what are you doing? Because they've never heard of CGI. Oh, wait, they spent all the money on the dragons. That was a big deal this year. Right. That look, the dragons. I'm like, oh, okay, but didn't really see a lot of the dragons until this final episode here. But uh overall, uh half of it was good, I think. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I'd agree with that. Uh, but what I would say is the the first show like Game of Thrones itself up until maybe the last season or so really took its time. Right. It, but it had a lot of characters uh, and it wasn't in any rush. And so you would have these awesome set pieces uh, like, you know, King's Landing burning and stuff like that. But you also got a lot of time to dig into a lot of these characters and in a world where, a lot of things almost happened in not quite real time, but closely where like, you know, if you had to go from Winterfell to King's Landing, that could take you a whole season uh, and you'd meet all kinds of characters and have adventures along the way. And then ultimately those things would come together in big moments. Right. Uh, and then it felt like in this one, though, they were trying to speed it along. But also then they would hit the brakes at certain moments. And so the pacing felt really wacky. It was always either going too fast 
or it was too slow because now you're slowing down and trying to have these same things they did on Game of Thrones, but not honoring the process in the same way. So you can't go at breakneck speak all the, speed all the time and then suddenly slow down for like, you know, a scene or three in every episode where like it's just suddenly gets shockingly boring. Uh, in terms of the finale, I won't give anything away, but I will say that uh like it really was a, it was a decent episode all things considered uh but it like like really the whole season by the end of that episode felt like a precursor like a prequel or a, a um what's, what's exactly for a prologue to something bigger like so we don't really get anything uh at the end of that it kind of builds to nothing and a cliffhanger and you're like oh great like so and not even like an exciting cliffhanger, like, oh, no, like, so-and-so was stabbed in the head. Will they live? Will they die? Like, it, it was just like building to this idea that we've been building to all season, then with no payoff in that episode, and basically like, well, tune in next season to find out what actually happens. And you're like, you know, I felt it, I was felt really ripped off by the end of the episode. Um, True. And like uh, with, you said, the original series that they'd always have adventures along the way, yet there was no adventures along the way in this. It's like, no, no, come on. Like, yeah. It's kind of boring, but yeah. But yes, of course, when the new season comes out, we're going to watch it. Okay, they win. Yeah. Well, yeah, I probably will. I don't think my wife will, though. I think there'll be a few people that'll fall off of it. So you got one minute. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Oh, okay, quickly, one minute. I just bought tickets to the Auschwitz virtual live tour, which I didn't know existed until yesterday. So it uh, the virtual live tour provides a unique learning experience about the Auschwitz concentration camp using historical footage, Holocaust survivor testimonies, panorama pictures, and modern animation combined with virtual reality tools to teach about the horrors that happened in the world's most infamous concentration camp. The group tours are live, led by expert tour guides in Poland who can answer questions and interact with participants, uh, visit an historical testament of one of humanity's deepest failures, and the most faithful and representation of an in-person visit uh, to the Auschwitz Memorial Site. Uh, so it is through the Holocaust Education Center. So holocausteducation.center is the uh, website. They only have a few openings left for Canada. Uh, so if you are interested, uh, you need to get your tickets now, get your tickets now. And then when I'm done the virtual tour, we'll talk about it on the radio because it, uh, I don't know if ever in life I'll have a chance to get over there. So um, this will maybe be the closest I'll get. So there yes. we go. Sounds interesting. We will unpack that after you get a chance to do it. But we got to throw back to Jody now. So everybody keep your dukes up and talk to Jody on Punch TV. Punch okay, okay, thank you. So first I want to talk about the Riddler because it came out this week and it's not really Halloween, though it is a little bit spooky. Gotham's always kind of Gotham, spooky Halloween. Always. So this is interesting because, well, a couple different things. It's the Riddler year one. So it's sort of like his start of being a criminal guy. It's written by Paul Dano, who plays the Riddler in the newest incarnation of the Batman Enterprise. Pretty gimmicky. Very gimmicky. And yet, it really, really works. It's also, the art is by Steven Sobajic, and this is his DC debut. So it's kind of neat seeing new people bring a, a breath of fresh life into the Gotham world. You really feel sorry for the Riddler. Like, this is a guy who is stepped on. He is absolutely 
a loser. He's, he's working his butt off every day at a job. He's obviously gifted. Nobody cares. He is exploited. And yeah, he's just having a really rough time just holding himself together day to day. And when he starts hearing about this new vigilante who's breathing hope into the city, it inspires him. So it really gives that whole perspective of like a, a villain never thinks he's a villain. A villain thinks he's doing the right thing. Yeah. And you can see the, the seeds of this. And I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I liked it too. They didn't try to do too much with uh, issue one. Um, like we don't actually get any kind of dramatic payoff in this issue. It's all just laying the groundwork of this character. Um, and like you said, how he starts out sort of enamored of Batman, which I don't know is, is if that is Gotham canon or whether maybe this is like truly year one. And it's kind of the first time that this, these origins have been told. Um, but it is, it, it's notable that the art is done by a, a newcomer to DC because it doesn't really look like a DC comic. It doesn't look like the Gotham that we're used to seeing, but it still feels like the right place for this story to be set yeah by about page three you don't really get the feeling like you're reading a dc comic you get the feeling like you're reading something just totally new yeah it feels like image or vertigo which is sort of dc but anyways very cool i am going to subscribe and follow this up and we'll see where it goes and we will report on its progress another book that came out this week is creep show so this definitely fits into the halloween mold for for this week's theme i guess we talked about an issue number one when it came out a month ago and the two stories that were in there because it is following the you know tales from the crypt creep show anthology format so it has two stories in it uh, the first one is called the gorgamora tree it's written by David Lapham and Maria Lapham with art by David Lapham. He is known best for Crossed and Stray Bullets. Crossed is the grossest comic ever. Like it crosses every line. They hold nothing back. There's like, yeah, if you want a gross, graphic, gritty comic, then sell your soul and read Crossed. Is it, it's grosser than that like Red Room comic? Oh, wait. Yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah. That's saying something. It is. And this little story was kind of meh. It just was kind of, okay, boring. Yeah, I didn't read, or I don't remember reading issue one, but issue two was a real kind of letdown. I was like, you're, you guys are, are tarnishing the creep show name here. It doesn't look creepy. The way they draw the classic Crypt Keeper is just wrong. It just is, that is not the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> And they, they're, I, if I was being really nice, I could say maybe they're trying to do this sort of blue velvet effect where everything is like pristine and crystalline on top of the surface, but the yucky underbelly lies just underneath waiting to scare you. That's sort of what these comics look like, but it really doesn't work. There's some pretty weak storytelling here, and it mm -hmm. just it just kind of feels like two or three pages in a story, you, you're just kind of flipping to get through it. So yeah. not a real ringing endorsement for, nope. for Creep Show. No payoff. The other story that is in this is Creator's Rights, written by Steve Fox, with art by Erica Henderson. And it's about like sort of this elderly comic book creator who's been shafted because now all his creations are making big bucks at the movie theaters and he's not getting a penny but he's got this nurse who maybe is 
being his nurse for the wrong reason because he thinks that maybe he's got a secret payoff somewhere and he's going to take advantage of that and then you know where that goes again meh 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 and just not very scary not very creepy not even really a show and not interesting so yeah too bad i will read number three because i did like number one and we'll see if if it disappoints again it's getting the axe. This, this is a classic dysfunctional relationship here. And you're just going to give him one more chance. One more chance. He gets one more chance. Okay. Brennan, you read some stuff this week that is uh, kind of spooky. You read some uh, Vampirella. What, uh, what's, what's going on in Vampirella's mind warp these days? Well, actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to talk about the revealer first. It, it, seg it segues really well from your creep show conversation. So... I remember last time you talked about Creep Show number one, and you quite liked it, and I was quite excited, and I was going to pick it up, and, and I didn't. And now I've heard issue two isn't that good, so I might skip it. But if you want something better than Creep Show two, you should check out The Revealer. So this is a vault one shot. And what's interesting that this is a movie tie-in to a movie that is premiering on Shudder. So the comic is a Shudder original. If you didn't know, Shudder is an all four movie channel all horrors, all shows, all the time. So this is a four-story anthology. We have Creature of Judgment, a uh, story by Tim Seeley and art by Ken Landgraf, The Righteous Judgment of Sally Newborn, story by Carrie Boyce and Luke Boyce, art by Chris Anderson, Baby David by Aaron Kantz, Michael Morochi, sorry, and Carolyn Lee Lan. And the freaky thing happened on the way to revealers, the John Wesley Huff and Dean Cott story. What I like about this, it's four six page stories, each with very, very distinct styles. So the first one has like this 1960s kind of wash to it, very classic story. The next one is a gritty in the street level kind of, I need to feed a, fight a demon kind of thing. The next one is a bit more cartoony with someone who is the worst babysitter ever because a baby mysteriously appears in her house and it's a demon. And the last one is your classic comic kind of look where someone's trying to go somewhere and being accosted. Every story has a running theme of judgment and good and evil, all presented in very different ways. Really quick read, but every story is quite original and, you know, well done. Um, it's not, you're not going to, you know, it's not mind blowing or anything, but the fact that it's a tie-in, the fact that it's already revealed a couple main characters on the front, I'd be interested to see the movie to see how it ties in. So when I read this, this actually sounds more like a creep show comic than the one that you read because it's not... The first one does take place in hell, okay? So it's a bit more like demon-y. The rest is all a bit more subtle. There's different levels of, there's a bit of gore. Some stories have no gore in them at all. Kind of a combination of like the Twilight Zone meets Creepshow maybe. So, so check out The Revealer if that's something that you like. Now, as per the setup, Vampirilla Mind Warp just came out. Um, I'm a huge Vampirilla fan, but there's so much coming out and I just really lost touch. Um, so I started flipping through this one. It starts off the Vampirilla. Oh, sorry, this is a Jeff Parker story, art by Ben Dewey. And it starts off with her in her full, like, kind of superhero outfit fighting a werewolf. I'm like, okay, so it's going to be like an alternate universe kind of Vampirilla. I can kind of handle that. She's being followed by an overachieving university student who is told that he can put a, a, a necklace on her and control Vampirilla's mind. Well, of course, that doesn't work because she's more powerful than that. But we find out in the story who wants to see her and why she's trying to control her. 
and it's not bad, it's pretty good. But then at the end, they do a really nice cliffhanger. And so I'm definitely hooked for at least one more issue. I was like, no, how'd you do it? It's not bad. Like, the comic is fine, the art's good. It clips along decently. I'm like, all right, I can get into this. And the last page, there's a change in art style and a completely different shift in tone. And now I'm really, really curious to see how they go with it. So they got me for at least issue number two. So we'll see how it goes. But if you are into Vampirilla at all, you want to check out some more classic canon work. There is the Vampirilla, the essential Warren years. Um, I have volume one. I'm sure there's probably much more of them. Now they have been re-releasing these as single um, magazines, like the original copies of them. But this is the original black and white. There's no color. It's just like reading the original magazine, but only in a graphic novel for a trade paperback format. It's really fun. I mean, it's funny how this back then may have been considered like groundbreaking and, and spooky and things. Most of them are not really spooky at all. Um, if anything, you could do a sociology paper on how, you know, even strong women somehow are become sexual tools for men. <laughs> not all the time, but sometimes, you know, but it's, it's just interesting. It's it, the storytelling is good. I love the art. Like I love this black and white very stark look but with some shading in it. It's really cool. And maybe that's why I like black and white comics so much. So if you want some classic Vampirilla, go to your local store, pick up the Essential Warrenears. If you want something a little more modern, there's the Vampirilla Masters series where they had um, some of the best modern writers and artists doing their take on Vampirilla. If you want something that's more of a uh, classic Vampirilla doing dark kind of stuff, Check out the James Robinson Master Series. It's issue number volume six. And this is a retelling of Vampirilla's um, origin story and history that some writers have actually kind of taken to being towards canon. It's got this sort of painted look. It has a bit of a gloss, a little bit of a glossy digital look too. So like, I think it's hand painted with a bit of touch-ups maybe, or just really well done with digital. Uh, it's really good. It's, you know, James Robinson, you can never go wrong, even when he does do wrong. Uh, the next story has more of that painted look. Check that one out, as well as the Vampirilla Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis, of course, as we know, the writer of uh, Transmetropolitan and Planetary, two of my favorite books ever. And this is more of just, there's Vampirilla, there's bloody vampire stuff, there's evil things happening. This one's more of like a good modern kind of Vampirilla story. So if you want to check out a couple ones that are you know, a bit more modern. I also have, they did a steampunk one that I should have grabbed off my shelf too, that I didn't actually read, but it looked really interesting. So uh, yeah, there's a couple, uh, a couple other uh, insights into some other horror stuff you might want to check out. Um, I also mentioned last episode, Sweetie Candy Vigilante. It was a lot of fun. I imagine Harley Quinn, who might be a supernatural creature, but we're not sure what kind yet. Maybe a vampire. She has all this candy and all the candy does really terrible things to people. She can conjure beings, but yet she seems very funny. Seems quite nice and quirky. There's a tie-in with a band and, um, and I forget which one, it's not open right now. But in the story itself, there's a, a, a point where she finds a song in a jukebox and you're supposed to listen to the song while she beats people up. So there you go. Check those out. Okay. I love the idea of uh, horror comics and candy because what is more Halloween than that? Not much. And it was not much. Cool if you were showing us those comics too, that like the Vampirilla look has maintained a certain standard, but it's changed a lot too in its presentation over the years. All right, some good picks. 
for if you are looking for something to inspire you for Halloween, or if you're going to skip the whole Halloween thing and just stay inside, turn off your lights, put uh, light some candles and read some comics. And that wraps up another episode of Punch Radio. You know where to find us here on CFCR every Friday at six. In the meantime, keep the dukes up. Yeah.